0: The Score! Bernstein and Holmes. Midday's 10-2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score in Odyssey Station.
1: And the Bulls will advance right forward and this ball game is over. As this crowd really got into this ball game tonight after a tough start, one would expect that, after returning from Paris, but bottom line story, Bulls win! Bulls win! Bulls win 111 to 100 over Atlanta. Let's dance. We're back in the States, back in the
0: USA. All
1: right. That first quarter was really hot garbage. It was, uh, it hurt the eyes to to see that whole thing. Mike,
2: why are you playing the Tecmo Bowl version of this? It's all we got. All right, come on. (laughs) It's not me here, honey.
1: Bulls are on a roll. They've won 11 of 17. They are trying to climb back into the Eastern Conference race and get out of that play-in and lock down a playoff spot, or they'll head up to the trade deadline and blow it all up, as unlikely as that may be. Here to talk about the Bulls, where they stand, what they are, and what they're doing is Ricky O'Donnell. You can find his work at SBN. He's on Twitter, at SBN underscore Ricky, writer, editor, associate director of programming. Ricky Charisma! At SB Nation. He's on Twitch also. Twitch.tv slash Chicago670, the score. And on the score hotline, brought to you by Circa Resort and a Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Ricky, how are you? I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show. What have you seen over the
2: the, the last 17 games where the Bulls have done pretty well
3: that you think might be sustainable for them? I think the big thing is that Zach Levine is just playing a lot better basketball. His November numbers were absolutely rough. Under 40% shooting from the field, about 31% from three, 20 points a game. We know Zach Levine's better than that, and we know that he didn't look like himself physically coming off knee surgery in the offseason. I would say since the calendar turned to December and January, he's just been a lot more potent as a scorer. Uh, In December, 25 points a game, 43% from three, also just more efficient from the field overall. And that's carried into January, averaging over 28 points a game. Obviously, we saw him on fire as a shooter for the early part of the month, 11 threes against the Sixers, six more against the Jazz. Then he suffers the right hand injury, and his shooting numbers have fallen off since. But as that's happened, Zach has gotten to the line more often. He's gotten to the rim more often. So Zach Levine's a good player. Uh, is he a top 10 player in the NBA? No, but he's one of the better pure scorers in the NBA and he has achieved that status by being a great volume three point shooter and being great at getting to the rim. And He's gotten back to being the best version of Zach. Uh, he's not you know, the most complete guard in the NBA, not a great defensive player, not a great decision maker, but the dude can rip threes and he can get to the hoop and he's been doing that more lately and when he's playing like the best version of himself this Bulls team is a lot more formidable than they were before
1: 11 and 6 since they administered the halftime code red on him at Minnesota the game in which they gave up the 150 points back on December 18th his defense has been better too i and that i'm not looking at any metrics i'm just watching him play and just seeing his actual desire to help and recover his desire to keep his own guy in front of him, it doesn't take a lot. They're not asking him to be a a lockdown difference maker. Just don't be the reason that the structure collapses. And they're they're a stronger defense when he's at a minimum doing that.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And just part of it is knowing when to make the rotation and making the rotation on time. Even being a split-second late can compromise the entire defense. Having Alex Caruso next to you certainly helps. And you saw in that Hawks game last night, I feel like Caruso was defending four guys at the same time the entire game. He was basically superhuman defensively in that game. And what's so great about having someone like Caruso is he can just cover up mistakes for everyone else. Typically, your center does that. If you think about rim protection, the Bulls do not have a rim-protecting center in Nikola Vucevic. For as skilled as Vucevic is in a lot of different areas, he can't run and he can't jump. And he's still really good, but he's not going to clean up anyone else's mistakes. Caruso able to do that, I think just having like a stabilizing force on the defensive end like him uh, really helps out. And then for Zach, it's just like, all right, don't totally blow, it. like make the rotation on time. You don't need to be like you said, a lockdown defensive player, but uh, as long as he's in the right spot at the right time, the team just looks a lot better and a lot healthier. And I think you're seeing that play out uh, over the last month and a half or so. Ricky, do you think that the
2: we're finally starting to see a meshing of, of offensive game between Zach, Vooch, and DeMar? Because it, it does look like everyone's a little bit more comfortable with their role and their space on the floor. And the offensive numbers have jumped up, I think, because of it.
3: Yeah. And to me, that comes down to shooting a lot. Like part of the reason that Zach, DeMar, and Vooch were struggling is because it felt like they were playing inside of a shoebox in the half court. Like opposing defenses did not have to defend all of the space that defenses normally defend. Because if you're the opposing defense and Ayo DeSumo is open for three, ah, you're going to let him shoot it. If Patrick Williams is open for three, you know you can run him off the line on a hard closeout. And then Zach was being used more as like a create off the dribble guy than as a movement shooter. Well, a couple things have changed. One, Levine's just attempts per game from three have skyrocketed. He's taken, you know, nine a game this month. And that's even factoring in the hand injury. Before that, he was taking double digits. I think Zach Levine's got to be taking 10 threes a game when his, uh, at minimum, when his hand is healthy, because he's one of the best shooters in the NBA. And they need to lean into that especially getting him going you know darting around screens the way Kyle Korver Ray Allen Reggie Miller used to do that's Zach's best skill set so they got to focus on getting Zach's three-point volume up and then kind of quietly Patrick Williams has been letting it fly from deep as well this month 47 percent from three on four and a half attempts per game four and a half attempts not great but he was at like three attempts I think coming into the month so he's got to shoot more because he does have a very slow release, but he's a good shooter. Uh, he's a good shooter from mid-range. He's a good shooter from three. I think the Bulls are leaving some major low-hanging fruit on the table by not like hiring a dedicated shooting coach and trying to quicken Patrick Williams' release. It was an issue when he came into the league. It's still an issue. If you watch the rest of the NBA, you'll see a lot of these guys are no-dip shooters, which means on a spot-up three on a catch-and-shoot, the ball just goes up. They don't bring the ball down and then shoot it because it's really hard to take a three against a hard NBA closeout with all that speed and all that length defensively. Pat's got a really long dip, so the Bulls should try to figure out a way to speeden that up because he's a good shooter. Uh, if he gets a wide open three, he's probably going to knock it down, and you know, 47% this month is really good. So I think getting Zach's volume up, Pat's volume up a little bit, Caruso quietly hitting 40% from three, shocking. Uh, I think that just helps the big three play better. They have more space to work with. Uh, you know, their passing becomes a little bit uh, more effective when they can pass to guys who can actually hit an open shot and take an open shot. So I think that's been part of the reason that Zach Vooch and DeMar have been able to, you know, find their footing a little bit as a trio lately.
1: How missed is Javante Green, in your opinion, and how well has Derek Jones Jr. done in eating up some of those minutes?
3: Yeah, I thought it was sort of weird they brought Jones back during the offseason because their skill sets are pretty duplicative. They're both just monster athletes, but undersized in the front court. Jones is a little bit bigger. And, you know, anyone who's seen Jones in the dunk contest back in the day knows he's like purely one of the best athletes in the whole league. Same can be said for Javante uh, in a lot of ways. And I think Jones, Derek Jones has done a great job filling in for Javante. I think Javante probably a little bit better offensive player, just in terms of like what he can do with the ball in his hands, maybe a little bit better shooter. Jones is a bit bigger. Uh, So even though I thought it was strange to have two guys on the roster with like the same skill set, it's been nice when one of them gets hurt that you can plug and play DJJ in there. He's given them a small ball center look. Uh, When Billy Donovan's gone away from Andre Drummond recently, that, you know, is pretty effective just in terms of, Uh, getting the game in more of an up and down state, a little more chaos where the Bulls are able to thrive and transition. So I think Derek Jones has done a good job and, uh, you know, hopefully continue to hold it down until Javante gets back.
2: Ricky, we've been talking a lot about the Bulls not reaching their potential, but I don't know if we've ever defined it in, in the con, in the confines of this season. What do you think their potential is?
3: Yeah, That's a good question. I think without Lonzo, they're mostly kind of an average team because Lonzo, while, you know, probably being on paper, their fourth best player, he was one of the best role players in the NBA. What do role players provide? Mostly it's defense and shooting. And Lonzo was a great shooter, 42% from three last year and just an elite defensive player. So not having him does make a big impact. If you look at the rest of the Eastern Conference, I would say the Bulls' potential is probably as the sixth seed. I thought coming into the year, maybe the fifth seed was the best they could do. Brooklyn's been better than I anticipated they would be. The rest of the conference is basically played out as we've expected to this point. Uh, so the best version of this Bulls team without Lonzo, I would say, is you know maybe the sixth best team in the Eastern Conference. By the way, that's where they finished last year when Lonzo played at least the first few months of the season before he got hurt. So not the highest upside of teams. I think it's a high floor team, not a high ceiling team. But, you know, it's better than getting the seventh pick every year, I guess.
2: I, I guess. But, but then I, I ask this outside of Lonzo. Is there something that they could try and find at the trade deadline that could make them better?
3: Yeah, I think you can always add shooting because coming into last night's game, they were seventh in the NBA in three-point percentage, which is shocking because it just seems like the Bulls have no shooting, but they're 28th in makes and, of course, dead last, 30th in attempts. So they need some shooting. And who could potentially be on the market? Malik Beasley, popular name, awesome pure volume shooter for the Jazz coming over from Minnesota in the Gobert deal. Uh, if he's someone the Jazz view as expendable to get some future assets, like maybe that's someone you can acquire. Doug McDermott, maybe our old friend Doug could come back. Uh, the Spurs yesterday, there was a report that maybe they'll take a second-round pick for McDermott. I think that he could be a pretty good, like, big-wing shooter for them as someone who could slot in, you know, towards the end of the rotation and just give them, like, a knockdown catch-and-shoot threat. So if the Bulls are going to buy, I think that they should try to buy shooting but it's tough because we know the Rhinestorff's mandate is don't go into the luxury tax. And the Bulls are right up against the luxury tax right now, so they can't really take on any salary. Also, they've basically traded all their first-round picks. Between today and 2026, they have one first-round pick. Uh, that's not counting the Blazers pick. Maybe that's something that could be moved the Blazers and sort of quietly tanked down the Western Conference standings lately. And it doesn't look like the Bulls are going to be getting that pick. Uh, It would be protected, I believe, until 2026 or 2027. So maybe they could trade that in addition to some salary like Kobe White. But the Bulls need to add shooting if they are going to be buyers. Huh? Has
1: Kobe White earned more minutes?
3: I think so, because he's able to provide something the team needs, and that's shooting. Uh, He's been pretty good over the last couple months. I think he's probably been better than IO just in terms of like what the team needs, uh, which is shooting and Kobe has been pretty solid at it. Problem is that Kobe's never really lived up to his potential as a shooter. Even this year, 36%, you know, that's, that's good, but it's not amazing. And they so just need someone, you know, who can hit a spot up three and who can get threes up with volume. I think mm-hmm. just to help, you know, their three stars. So Kobe's been better lately. I think he's been a little bit better is, a defensive player just getting over screens and not, you know, dying so easily when he gets hit with a screen. Uh obviously the shooting helps, his ball handling has been a little bit better, turnovers are down slightly this year I think. So, uh yeah, the team needs what Kobe can provide, so why not put him out there?
2: Outside of Kobe, when we look at the Bulls, is there value to other teams on their roster that could get them back maybe? a first round pick between now and infinity in terms of players, the bulls
3: could yeah, trade. Caruso, yeah. Caruso get a first rounder. Caruso. Give me two first rounders. For oh, Caruso. Not about I don't know about, about well, that. I don't know. Well, I was thinking about it recently, Robert Covington, who of course is not a high points per game guy. Once fetched two first rounders in a trade from the Rockets to the Blazers. Uh, and Caruso still awesome. So I think, you know, if a team wants to come up and get Caruso, either it has to be a good first round pick or give me, give me two. I don't see why not Caruso's in the prime of his career. I think back to the old Draymond Green quote about 16 game players versus 82 game players. Caruso is the definition of a 16 game player. A good team should want to try to get him the bulls. Uh, While it would be super tough to lose Caruso, I would seriously consider trading him and trying to sell him at his peak value because he's 29. He's always hurt. He's like fifth in the entire NBA in turnover percentage offensively. He's constantly turning over the ball, Uh, but he's phenomenal. Obviously, if you watch the games, you know, Caruso is tremendous. So I think he would be the one guy I would look at for sure. If you're trying to sell and gauge his value and, Maybe I'm, uh, I'm overestimating his value here by saying two first-round picks, but, man, if Robert Covington could get it, maybe Caruso can get it. And, you know, the Bulls just need some more future upside, I think, in terms of how they can, like, boost the ceiling of this team. And the best way to do that is probably adding first-round draft picks.
1: I look at games now upcoming for the Bulls, and I try to see if there's a guy against whom Billy Donovan can deploy Andre Drummond because that's really what it is now. If it's going to be one of these smaller, quicker teams, he's going to have five fouls and thirty seconds, and you just you just can't do it because he cannot move. And I look tonight if maybe this is one of those games if my you know, just steal a few minutes here and there against Miles Turner, possibly because I, I don't know what they expected of him in the off season, but I kind of thought he'd be in better. shape.
3: Yeah, I think Drummond sort of is what he is. He always suckers you into believing that, like, hey, this is the year. Andre Drummond is really going to be an awesome center. And instead, it's, like, sort of the same story every year with Drummond, I think. And there's a reason he signed for, like, just slightly more than the minimum. That's how the league valued him around the league. And I think in general, like, he's been all right. For someone who's barely making above the minimum, he's been a big upgrade on Tristan Thompson. And last year, the Bulls had nothing in the way of a backup center. Drummond for very little cost has been decent. I would like to see them go with Pat more as a small ball five because I think that he could probably take advantage of slower footed centers on the offensive end with the ball in his hands. DJJ has been pretty good as a small ball five option, but man, he's given up so much size. You got like a six 200 six, pound dude, you know, trying to play center that's ambitious, even in today's NBA, which is downsized across the board. But uh, I think that Drummond, you're right about the fact that how he's deployed will probably be matchup dependent. And in general, you know, it's okay if Drummond gets some DMPs. I don't think they owe him too much uh, in terms of his own spot in the rotation. And you know what he's going to provide, and that's, you know, rebounding and a big body inside who can give you a, a little bit of scoring uh, if you create an advantage for him. So, It'll be interesting to see what his role is on this team the rest of the year.
2: What did you think of the Rui Hachimura t- a trade? Uh,
3: I think Rui Hachimura was a decent buy low candidate for the Lakers. You know, the Bulls' second round pick got traded mm-hmm. in that deal. I think right now it would be like 38 or 39 overall. It would be nice for the Bulls to have a second round pick considering they don't have their first round pick this year, but that is now going to the wizards in the Hachimura trade. I think that he'll be all right for the Lakers. Lakers is, needed a wing, and Rui Hachimura looks like he should be a good NBA wing. He's got the right size for it. Uh, The issue with Rui, and as someone who's been watching him since he was at Gonzaga, is just he's not a high feel for the game player uh, on either end of the floor. LeBron tends to make that easier for people. So, you know, playing next to LeBron might help him a little bit, but I thought that was a pretty good buy-low trade for the Lakers. Not something that's necessarily going to, you know, move the needle for them a ton, though. Ricky
1: O'Donnell, thank you for the perspective and for your time. Thanks. Ricky O'Donnell, writer, editor, associate director of programming at SB Nation has been our guest. When we come back, I want to –
2: there's been some mission creep that's been going on with the NFL over the last week or so.
1: Yeah, fast creep.
2: Uh Uh-huh. And so I want to talk with Dan about it and see if, if we can connect it
1: Bernstein at Homes, Midday's 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. I touched the ball before it went out, Coach.
2: Come on, Alex. The ref did not call that. you got to be kidding me, Alex. It's the championship game. Talk to him, Coach. Not the snitching-ass snitch.
1: <laughs> Alex. <laughs> Alex.
2: Alex is a championship game. Alex. Messing it up for everybody, jerk. Oh, my God. And then, of course, Dan went down the rabbit hole of who was sponsoring Alex Snitching, and we mm-hmm. found out stuff that we didn't want to find out. Um, Dan, have you noticed that the NFL was real quick to be like, hey, you know what we could do if the Bills and, and the Chiefs end up in the AFC title game? I mean, it'd be kind of unfair for the Chiefs to host the game So what if we did it at a neutral site? And then they went looking around the NFL for neutral sites.
1: And after that process, they said, wait a second here. Wait a damn
2: minute. We may have stumbled upon something looking at the success of the CFP semifinals that are played at neutral sites as well. Apparently, and we can ask Mike Florio about this tomorrow when we have him on, it's gaining traction around the NFL, the thought of neutral site games for championship Sunday. I feel like the team that is the number one seed, if they make or anyone, the highest seed that's left, I feel like they earned the right to have a a game at home. But I understand that sometimes when we're looking at progress, like, I don't want to necessarily stand in the way if it's a better thing
1: for the game. Can I jump in with some breaking news? Sure. Here. Breaking news on 670. The score is presented by BetQL. Smarter bets start with BetQL. Download the BetQL app or visit BetQL.com today. This from The Athletic, uh, The from Brittany Garoli and Katie Strang. Chicago White Sox pitcher Mike Clevenger is under investigation by Major League Baseball following allegations of domestic violence involving the mother of his 10-month-old daughter and child abuse. Olivia Feinstead, the 24-year-old mother of Clevenger's child, told The Athletic Tuesday that she's been in contact with individuals from MLB's Department of Investigations since this summer. According to Feinstead, she has detailed to those investigators incidents of physical, verbal, and emotional abuse including an incident from last June in which Feinstein said Clevenger choked her and another about two weeks later when she said Clevenger slapped her in a hotel room when the team was playing the Dodgers and threw used chewing tobacco on their child. A source familiar with MLB's investigation process confirmed there is an open investigation on Clevenger. The source added the White Sox became aware of the allegations after he was signed. Clevenger, 33, reached via text message, said his agent and lawyer would contact The Athletic. As for an on-the-record statement before publication, Clevenger's agent, Seth Levinson, wrote in a text message, We need to fairly and thoroughly protect our client. At the same time, be respectful of the White Sox and MLB. We need time before responding. Feinstead, who agreed to be named in this story, first publicly disclosed the allegations in an Instagram story early Tuesday.
2: Obviously, there were people who were asking questions about Mike Clevenger a couple years ago. When
1: um, he was lying about his behavior during, during COVID. COVID. Correct. Mm-hmm.
2: The fact that the... I want to make sure... It's the wife, right? Mm-hmm. That the wife is already talked with because you know in some some of these circumstances the victims of domestic assault don't talk with the investigators for MLB. Correct. Like they'll they'll talk sometimes with with law enforcement, but not necessarily the the private investigators for MLB. Oh my God. Like this
1: and then the child abuse element to it. Here's the statement from the White Sox. Major League Baseball and the Chicago White Sox take any and all of the allegations very seriously, and the White Sox are completely supportive of the joint domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse policy shared by MLB and the MLBPA. MLB opened an investigation after learning of these allegations. The White Sox were not aware of the allegations or the investigation at the time of his signing. The White Sox will refrain from comment until MLB's investigative process has reached its conclusion. Great. That was maybe one of those various reasons. Um, I'm going to ask a hard
2: question that seems mean. Here, a couple years ago, weren't they unaware of what had gone on with Tony Larusa, too? Or were they aware? I can't remember. I'm trying to remember. Or were they which, aware which
1: incident? The the incident I think in they, Arizona. I, I think they claimed that the 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 one that resurfaced shortly after the announcement of his hiring that they were aware of it. Okay. If I'm if I remember correctly. The other thing I'm wondering is if the wife of
2: Mike Clevenger had talked with MLB in June about this. I guess I'm wondering: Is there some sort of clearinghouse? I I don't know that 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 an organization can can go. Hey, we're getting ready to sign this guy,
1: and they can tell. Are you- there any
2: active investigations going on with this guy? I don't know the answer to that, but that's where my mind went. On how could you let if this guy is under investigation? Is it? Is it not better for the health of Major League Baseball and its member teams to not offer a heads up? Hey, we can't tell you what this investigation is about, but we can tell you that this player is under investigation.
1: And texters are reminding that as the Larusa thing went down, it was that Reinsdorf himself individually was aware. That's what I. But that Rick Hahn and the White Sox front office was not.
2: That's what. That's where. Thank you, texters. Appreciate ag- again, you helping me clean it up
1: again with the internal communication.
2: I mean, I'm. I look over and I see Mike Rankin just like drop his head. Like just, <sighs> man. Well, my hope is that if he did these things that are being alleged, that he is... A former White Sox ASAP. Yeah, and then punished severely by the law. Mm -hmm. Forget about baseball. Right.
1: But the first thing the White Sox need to do is, and and, and you can tell based on the responses, that were he innocent of this, the first thing he and his agent and, and everyone else is saying is that there's no merit... And this they, they will they will show that they but if they're already copping to the existence of these incidents, that that's it. It would
2: seem that way. Man. This has
1: been um... <laughs> And we should mention the Padres did not immediately respond for messages Two messages requesting comment because Clevenger was a member of the San Diego Padres pitching staff at the time of the incidents last summer, became a free agent when his contract expired this winter. This sounds like something that through whatever baseball channels you have, through whatever... Someone should know something? I, 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 I think it is reasonable to expect that when you are vetting some of the, you're adding to your starting pitching staff a veteran you're adding to your to your staff is going to be your your big splash first free agent signing that at a minimum you should know about an investigation that began in June
2: that's what I'd love I'd really love to know from someone in the know whether MLB is allowed to say anything but you're right this does strike you as well, there's a reason he's not coming back here. We're not in a rush to bring him back here. And I know that there were some people who were saying, well, he grew up in San Diego. That the guy that was acting a clown in 2020 had had matured and become one of the leaders of the Padres. Which again, I was like, well, then why didn't they keep him?
1: Well, we'll have more on this as it develops. There was another bit of baseball news yesterday that former Cubs and Braves TV broadcaster Chip Carey was going to be joining the St. Louis Cardinals, replacing broadcaster Dan McLaughlin. And I found some of the reaction on Twitter strange, as if Cubs fans would somehow be unhappy about this when they feel strongly at all.
2: Yeah, can we explore that and and also... Here, where Craig, had I, I to want to say. bring you
1: the best scouting report <laughs> on Chip Carey, the broadcaster. Just just on him as a broadcaster, not the other stuff and the the, the anti Obama stuff on Twitter, for which he claimed to be hacked and 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 all of that. But I just think that Craig Calcaterra did a really good job the way he described how Chip Carey does his. That's next on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes. Middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. What's up? You're a big Chip Carey fan. He's going to be a little bit closer to Chicago now as he is leaving Atlanta to take a position with the St. Louis Cardinals. So, Craig Calcaterra in his Cup of Coffee newsletter, which really is, it's so wonderful. It's such a great way to start your day. It's baseball. It's more than baseball. It's Craig's thoughts on the world. And he's just... He's it's just, Avengers Endgame. Uh, he says this. Here's your scouting report on Chip Carey. He said, my personal take, this is Craig, is that Carey has a decent enough vocal timber for the role, such that he's not going to actively annoy anyone simply by virtue of being on the mic. But if you're the sort who truly depends on the play-by-play guy, he can be more than trying. Even after all of these years, he seems to have trouble assessing whether balls off the bat are going to die in shallow left field or land in the upper deck, and he errs on the side of assuming homers. While his demeanor is generally pleasant, and I had the opportunity to talk to him at length in a clubhouse once and genuinely believe him to be a nice man who genuinely loves baseball, He tends to fall into agreement with curmudgeonly analysts if he's paired with them. Like, I don't think he sits around thinking that today's game sucks and then no one did it better than some dude 30 years ago. But if his color guy thinks that, Kerry doesn't push back. So enjoy that, Cardinals fans. Oh, they will. That's exactly their their, their cup of coffee right there. That was exactly what I thought when he wrote it. But it's... It's so true that whole swung on belted, in comes the left fielder, like that. That that has caught out there. That's still that's still the same. He even after all these years, he has trouble assessing whether balls off the bat are going to die in shallow left field or land in the upper deck.
2: He always struck me as a dude that got into the family business because. Mm Like maybe you know, like oh yeah obviously I love baseball oh, I should well he was a basketball broadcaster first I know but yeah. uh of course yeah because you know my dad and my grandfather and yeah let's do it let's let's do that baseball no. that's always been my feeling about him that he was just kind of like oh this is what the family does line so, drive right, uh, right, he's hit
1: caught out there. <laughs> keep rolling it look, off target and in time there's a, a
2: lot going on in that clip
1: I see Anthony Heron on the other side of. he's the handsome I saw Danny Parkins too that means I also think, handsome I think I know what that afternoon show is going to be and we'll talk to him next on the score
0: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns including right here in yours